So we gather on a Christmas Sunday to tell the old, old story, how a Savior came from glory. Look at the Gospels, you notice three of them tell the story from the beginning or from the birth. Mark kind of skips right to John entering into his ministry. Matthew and Luke tell the old, old story with their feet firmly on the ground. Uh, with, with shepherds and uh, the announcement to, to the people, you know, the angels coming and the, the birth of, of children, John and Jesus. But John gives us a version of the story. He tells the Christmas story too, uh, but he tells it differently. John gives more of the cosmic view of the story. It's definitely the Christmas story. Uh, But where you see the kind of feet on the ground in the other Gospels, John pulls back the curtains of history and gives us a a picture, an understanding, really a theological telling of the Christmas story. What's really going on? You You get the same story and you get the sense of what's going on from the other guys. They tell you as well. You know, but it's wrapped in real swaddling clothes. You know, John just steps it back and opens up, in a sense, the whole thing in a way that uh, really challenges the mind and the heart. We're in John chapter 1 in the first 14 verses. Hear then the Word of God, the old, old story. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him, and without Him, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. But he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, of God. And so the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory. The glory is of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank You this morning for Your Word, which is living and true. And we thank You for the old, old story that is told here, a true story, a historical story. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his life, his birth, and all the life that he lived for us and for his death on a cross for us and for our sin. Father, even now as we look at this story again and who Jesus is, open our eyes and our hearts that we may see his glory and give him our hearts afresh. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Christmas really is an interesting holiday. I don't know if you think of it that way. The church really did arbitrarily pick a day 
to remember and to celebrate the birth of Jesus. We're pretty sure it wasn't December 25th. So we pick a day to worship and to celebrate the birth of Jesus, and then the church, through history, created an Advent season. You know, four or five weeks, depending on, you know, that, that lead up to Christmas. It's a, it was a time to prepare, a time for spiritual preparation and introspection, purely a part of the church calendar. In fact, it was originally a lot like Lent. You think of Lent, you got six weeks leading up to Easter. It's a time of spiritual preparation. And that's what Advent was, those, those weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Time of preparation, spiritual introspection, who Jesus is and what he has done for us. But now the culture, which cares very little for our Jesus, has sort of de-Christianized and adopted the whole thing, right? They've taken it over, right? So that those weeks, you know, between Thanksgiving and December 25th have been taken over. In fact, now somebody got to go back to Halloween, you know, some of them start back there, they just Forget Thanksgiving, you know, we start Christmas and, you know, the moment you take the, the cobwebs off the shelf, you know. So what was traditionally a Lent-like period of spiritual preparation has become literally a, a five-week shopping frenzy, right? Preparation for Christmas, right? You know, this is, this is where it has brought, up, brought us from Black Friday to... Uh, you know, what is it, the Boxing Tuesday to Cyber Monday, and I'm getting things that are, no, we got Cyber Weeks, you know, we got, and uh, behind Advent and Christmas, there's a really important question. When you strip back the cultural frenzy, and we go back to sort of thinking about Christmas, it's a really important question that lies behind it. And the question really is, what do you think of Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus? And what has he done? What does it mean to you? What does it matter? Who is this Jesus? If you're here this morning and you're not sure, I would encourage you to listen as we sort of open this passage a little bit and to hear what it says, what it tells us, about who Jesus is. Because it's the most important question that you can ask in all of life. I know it's hard to boil it down for a lot of you to say the most important, you know, i got a lot of things going on, but the, really the most important question in life is who is Jesus Christ? And right here in this verse, in the first verse of uh, the Gospel of John, and the Apostle John declares crisply and clearly that Jesus Christ is the Creator God. He says it about as clearly, I think, as it can be said, and we'll kind of unpack it, but you see it just immediately when he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. And then he makes the, the connection immediately as you read down in verse 14, and the Word that is God became flesh and he dwelt among us. And the entire Gospel of John is telling the story of the Word who was made flesh and dwelt among us. And the miracles that he did, the healings that he did, the ways that he showed power and mastery over his creation. The Word was God and the Word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And let me tell you the story. It's about as crisp and clear as you can make it. 
let's pull back the layers just a little bit. Because there are layers of the way that he communicates who Jesus is and what he has done. Because the opening words of this book, this gospel, you should recognize in the beginning. Should immediately take you back to the first page of the Bible. Right? The first few verses of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And you notice that John puts the word where you would expect God. In the beginning, the word was. Right? He puts him in the place of God. He says, just, just by taking that verse from Genesis and putting the word into it, he tells you Jesus is God. The word was with God and he is God. And he makes it so clear as you bump down through verses 2 and 3, right? And 2, he says he was in the beginning with God. When he says that he is with God, he is telling you that, in other words, he's not part of creation. So in the beginning, when all of that, when, when God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning, the Word was with God. He's not part of the creation. He is with God creating. He's not part of the creation. He's something else. He is God. He is the Creator, which is what he goes on to tell you in verses 2 uh, and 3, right? All things were made through Him. But we all know the world was made by God. In the beginning, God created heaven and the earth, and here, in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word created the heavens and the earth. All things were made through Him, he says, to the extent this, that there was not anything made that was not made through Him. There's no part of creation. There is nothing that exists out there that was not made through the Word. So it wasn't like that God did some of it and the Word did some of it. The Word is God and the Word did all of it. There's nothing that exists apart from His power and creation. And so when John starts to move on from here and he starts to tell stories about miracles and healing the sick and walking on water, this should make perfect sense. If the Word who created the heavens and the earth, and, and apart from whom nothing exists, if He became flesh and He walked among us, what would you expect? But that He might speak to a storm and it listen, or He rebuke a disease and there's healing. It's not surprising. It's, it's perfectly natural for those who struggle with the idea of miracles. I, I get that in, in, in a purely materialistic order of things. But if Jesus is who he says he is, if he is who the Scripture says he is, then all those things make absolute sense. God in the flesh. God on a mission. The Son of God. And he, he'll move from the Word of God, and we'll talk about why he uses Word here in a minute, and, and for the rest of the book pretty much calls him the Son of God, which is his preferred messianic title. The Word of God is the Son of God who became flesh and dwelt among us. Now some argue that John borrows this whole thing from the Greeks because he uses the word here in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. The word there is logos. It's a Greek, it's a Greek word that has, in the Greek there are several different words for word. Um, you know, and, and some of them, if you wanted to talk about the words on a page, there are other words that he would go for. There are a couple other Greek words that you would say, but logos is a more loaded term, not only more loaded in the Greek language, but in Greek philosophy. 
So the logos is, is this idea, it's, a, it's an, uh, a, a philosophical idea captured in Greek philosophy. And so the logos to them, this word, has a broader than just word. It means reason, um, logic, uh, the order of things. And so for the, the Greeks, the logos is that which gives order to the universe. It's the logic and the reason to all things. I thought the world was an orderly place. And that logic and and philosophy and the ideas that that humans have, they're saying, you know, this is obviously, there is some grand logos built into creation. A reason, a logic, a, a purpose, a meaning. Some even said that someday the Logos would come and explain and give meaning to everything. And so John does what Paul does in Athens. You remember Paul wandering around in Athens and he sees all their idols that they're worshiping and he comes across one that says an idol to an unknown God. And then he says, as part of his preaching, he says, uh, he he seizes upon it and, and and he speaks to them in a language that they would understand. You have, I see you're very religious. You have many idols here, many gods, whatever. I see this one to the unknown God. Well, let me proclaim to you that unknown God. Let me proclaim to you the one true God. And he seizes on something in there because they know there's this unknown quality and he grabbed it to try to, to teach them. And John does the same thing. He seizes on the Greek concept of the Logos in a divine inspiration in trying to preach the gospel into their culture. He seizes on this idea of of the Logos that they already have in their philosophical thinking. And he basically says, let me declare to you who the Logos is. Right? That, that he's not, it's not an impersonal idea behind creation. He is a personal creator, an intelligent designer. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos is the one true God, the God of creation. And the word, the Logos, who made all things, has become flesh. And he has lived and he has dwelt among us. He walked with us. He came to declare all things to us and to give meaning and understanding to everything. The word that in the beginning conceived all of creation, conceived a body for himself. The one who created and conceived the world, conceived a body. And invaded his creation. And that's the story of Christmas. It's a divine invasion. It is the creator entering into the problems, the brokenness of his creation. To bring healing when the son of righteousness rises. To bring healing in his rays, in his wings. He borrows the concept of the Logos, not to create something or John needed an idea, so he pulls in a Greek idea, and that's what he borrows and steals the idea to communicate in a language that they would understand, and in some ways, we can understand as we think of an intelligent designer. The Logos is not an impersonal force. He is the personal God who came to give light and light to all people. 
So as one commentator says, the message of Christmas is that God entered into our humanness. In some mysterious and miraculous way, the Creator becomes one of the created, one of us. He's not some distant deity. He is near. He is here. He is on our side. He is for us. He is with us. The Word became flesh. He became a human. And so John Piper says, forget about this passage. He says, ponder that. Reflect on that. Take your advent and his preparation. Ponder that. Reflect on that. Savor that. Rejoice in that. John's words thunder across the creation. If we listen to what John is saying, and we have stopped hearing the word in our culture, but the word, the scripture is so clear about what's going on. The word thunders across the creation, and it whispers into the heart of the created. These words should stretch your mind. Right? They should overwhelm your heart. They should upend the world for you. They divided history. He's saying history is divided before the invasion and post-invasion. Right? History is divided and they demand a response from the created. And that's why they give four or five weeks before Christmas to contemplate what God has done, who Christ is, what he has done in invading his creation, and then another six weeks leading up to the cross, to Good Friday and Easter, to contemplate what Christ has done in bearing our sin in his own body on the cross. The creator in the flesh bearing our sin on the cross. So in verses 4 and 5, John goes on to declare, In him was life. (laughs) The one who spoke and breathed life into all things, animal and spiritual and vegetative or whatever it is, in him is life. And I would say, when you're saying that in him is life and that life is the light of men, it's not just this material life that we share, but he's talking about spiritual life. In fact, God is a spirit. And he doesn't have a body. And when, when, when the God who is a spirit takes on a body and in him is life, in him is an abundant spiritual life. The, the life that, that our world desperately needs. John 5, in a few chapters from here, and you'll find it if you go home and maybe your, your homework between now and Christmas or the new year, you know, if you, if you didn't take the chance over Lent, maybe is to read the book of John. You know, as you start your new year and to see with sort of this in mind, the declaration of the invasion of God and to read the rest of John with this idea of who Jesus is. In John chapter 5, verse 26, he says this, is the Father has life in himself. The Father, God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and as the Father has life in himself, he has granted the Son, the Word also, to have life in himself. In him was life. And this life is the light of men. So the Bible tells a story of creation. How God created all things and they were bright and beautiful. They were very good. They were the way that they were supposed to be. They were full of life and light. But the Bible tells a story of creation. It's a story that this is just a part of, right in the middle of. That in him is life. And 
that he comes because it also tells how the creation through rebellion and disobedience brought spiritual death and darkness. The Bible tells how the world was broken. How in many ways we were broken. How spiritual life was blacked out. It was no longer a life under God. God who made all things bright and beautiful and made us for himself. And spiritual life in our own rebellion and sin has been blacked out. So we don't live life in a sense. I know our coins kind of say it, one nation under God. right? But it's your life really lived under God. To God's glory with his purposes in mind. Life is no longer under God. It's broken. The whole human life is a bit like Christmas. Once upon a time, it was spiritual. It was a time to know Him and to love Him and to recognize Him and to remember Him and to contemplate who He is and what He has done and to refresh ourselves in the great gift of God Himself. The gift of Christmas is God gave Himself to us in the in the person of Jesus, in a baby born in a manger. And once upon a time, Christmas was this, this spiritual thing under God, you know, that had reference to God and what he was doing. And now it has been lost and buried under a frenzy of materialism. Right? Has it not? And that's, that's in the microcosm all of life. What was once meant to be spiritual under God and in worship and reference to Him, like the whole Christmas, has been buried under a frenzy of materialism. That's, that's the history of the human race that becomes a dark and bloody tale. We lost the capacity to know and to love and to relate to our Creator. And so we have fallen under His judgment. And so humanity has two great needs. It has two great needs. We need the forgiveness of our sins and the renewal of life and our relationship in life under God, relationship to God as Father. We need the forgiveness of our sins and we need a renewal of spiritual life and relationship with God. The great needs of a broken humanity. And so verses 4 and 5, in Him was life. And this life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness is not overcome it. In verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was coming into the world. Jesus wasn't just a baby born like every other baby. He was somebody coming into the world. I mean, we came into the world, but where did we come from? We start there. The Word doesn't start there. The Word was in the beginning with God, and He was coming into the world. He was being incarnated. He was, he was coming. The true light that gives light to everyone. Darkness cannot overcome it. This is Christmas. This is the story of Christmas. The Word became flesh, and He was born like, like light in the darkness waiting for the day when the, he will rise like the sun of righteousness over the whole earth. For now, from that baby, it has gone forth. And those beams have caught many of us and brought us in a light in our darkness, in our, the sphere of our living. 
And the day will come when he will rise over the earth and all eyes shall see it. And everyone will know. And the skies are rolled back like a scroll. But he was born like a light in the darkness to save us from ourselves. This was the first Christmas. There was a first Christmas. There was Christmas. The light born in the darkness so that there could be a cross. The word became flesh so that he could live and die for us. He came on a mission. He came with a purpose. He didn't come just to shine and be around and be noticed. And He came to accomplish something for us. He came on a rescue mission. It says, for how God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. In him was that life. And so in 1 Peter 2.24, it tells us that he himself, the word, the son of God, the Lord Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, on the cross, so that we might die to our sin and live by his righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. He would go to the cross and die so that we could live. He would bear our sin and its penalty in himself so we wouldn't have to bear the penalty. Michael Card says it like this in his song, The Final Word. He says, God spoke flesh and blood so that he could bleed and make a way divine. And so was born the baby who would die to make it mine. And so in Acts chapter 10, Luke writes and says to him, to the Lord Jesus, to the Word, the Logos of God, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him will receive what they desperately need, which is the forgiveness of their sins through his name, who he is and what he did. In The Word was life. In Jesus is this life, the hope of forgiveness and the hope of an eternal life. And this hope is the light of mankind. It is that light in the darkness. It gives meaning to everything else. John, 1 John 5.12, John who wrote this gospel wrote several letters. And in his first letter he writes and he says, Whoever has the Son has life. Life is in the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Because life is in the Son. That's where John 3.36, you know, in this same book, everybody knows 1 John 3.16, which I just did. I encourage you, as you read the book of John, read all of chapter 3, right? Because everybody knows 3.16, which is right in the middle. John chapter 3 is packed full of amazing truth. Part of it is this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, because the wrath of God remains on him. Right? Whoever believes in the Son has life. Whoever has the Son has life. In him was life, and that life is the light of men. And it is through faith, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. It is through faith that we lay hold of the Son. And when we lay hold of the Son, the Lord Jesus, putting our faith in Him, our trust in Him, 
embracing him as he is who he said he is, and he did what he said he did. And when we put our faith in him, when we have the son by faith, we have the life that is in the son, the hope. And that's why John writes the gospel. As he opens the gospel like this, you know, at the beginning it was the Word, and the Word was with God. And he tells us, he sings about the Word, how he's light, and how he's life, and how he became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and he tells the whole story. And when he gets to the end of his gospel, in John 20, he says this, these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. This is why he writes it all out for us. So that we would put our faith in him. This is why I said the most important question in life is what do you think of Jesus? Is he who he said he was? Is he who the Bible says he is? If he is the true light in whom is life, who is shining in the darkness of our broken world. If he is who he said he is, then knowing him is the most important thing in life. It is the most crucial thing to get settled in your soul. Because life is short, death is certain. And he who has the Son has life, and who has not the Son does not have life. And the most important question is, is he, and if he is, have you put your faith and your trust and your hope in him? Verses 10 and 11 echo is a profound irony, at least as I read them, right? Verse 10 and 11, he says, he was in the world. The logos of creation who spoke all things into existence, he was in the world. And the world was made through him. It was his, the work of his hands and of his power. It exists because he wills it to exist. He was in the world, and yet the world didn't know him. In verse 11, he came to his own. And they supply his own people. He came to that which was his own, his own creation. And he had prepared a people who should be prepared for his coming. And he came to the people who he prepared for his coming, and they did not receive him. The profound irony of it. He was in the world, the world that he made. And he came to a people created in his own image and prepared them for it, and they did not receive him. It's still a dark irony today, isn't it? Christmas is bigger than ever, right? It's like a six-week-long, multi-billion-dollar industry in a frenzy, and in the midst of it all, they don't know him. They don't know him. The Christ of Christmas, the whole point of it all. The world gathers to celebrate his birth, but they don't believe in him. They don't receive him. Verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. And they're born not of blood and the will of man and the will of the flesh, but born of God, not a physical birth. You already got a physical parent, not born of the flesh or the will of man, but born of God. Those who did receive him, those who did believe in him, 
He says he gave the right, the power, the ability through faith in him to become God's children. When we believe that he is who he said he is and that he did what he said he did. And when we trust him, Jesus is the logos, the personal mind behind all of creation. And there is a sense in which nothing can make sense. Our lives, ultimately, as we seek for meaning everywhere and in everything, you're looking for it every day in your work or in your relationships or in your hobbies or in your indulgences. We're looking for that meaning. And even as we face death or we come face to face with it every now and then and we contemplate what does it all mean, I could die at any moment and we, we know that life is fleeting. But how, how when, when the Logos who gives meaning and purpose to all things, it's till we know him, life and death do not have the meaning that he intends. Augustine said it this way, You, O Lord, have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless till it rests in you. Is your heart restless this morning? Are you seeking meaning in all the wrong places? Life does have a logic. It has a coherence. It has reason. It has meaning. And his name is Jesus. Right? He is the creator. He is the savior. He is the king. He is the God who made us and the God who saves us. He is the one who invested life with meaning because it's under God. It is lived before him and for him. What about you? Will you believe in the one through whom the world was made? I can tell you this whole thing, this Christianity and faith. Faith is kind of like the National Museum of Art. When you stand outside, if you stand outside, it is a pretty building and there's a certain sense you can get of it. But it is not until you walk through the doors that the magnificence and the abundance of the beauty and the glory is revealed at every turn and on every wall and in every place. Right? And faith is a lot like that. As you stand outside, you can see sort of the magnificence of the structure. There's something going on there. But until you pass through the doors, until you come and put your faith in Christ, in all of his glory and who he is, it's verse 14, and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we've seen his glory. He is the glory, the glory that is of the only son from the father and he's full of grace and truth. When you see him for who he is, and we enter in through faith that we might see the fullness of his glory. You see him who the angels adore, whom the devils fear, the logos of mankind, the Savior who gives logic and coherence to everything and who holds it all together by the word of his power. Do you know him? Have you loved him? Have you seen his glory? I close with the verse in 1 Peter 1.8 where he says, though you've not seen him, and that's where we sit, though you've not seen him, you have come to love him. And though you don't see him now, you believe. And because you believe in him, Christmas becomes this thing where you can rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory because it pulls back the curtain of history to see Jesus for who he is. 
to embrace him into your own life as who he is. My friends, Merry Christmas does not seem adequate. So may your Christmas be filled with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory because you believe. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for Christmas. When the word became flesh for us, and for our salvation. We thank you for the life that he lived and the death, death that he's died. That we might be delivered from our sins, forgiven in your presence and adopted as your children. Oh, peel back the veil of our heart like the veil of history that we might behold his glory and see him for who he is. I pray if there are any here this morning who have not yet put their faith in Christ, that today would be a day when they would see him, that they would trust him as Lord and Savior, as King, as Logos, as God, and that they would come and bring their life and live it under him by faith. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.